0: Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the Church today, and how the Gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the Church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. There is a simple procedure that you probably learned in kindergarten that will serve you well today. This procedure taught you what to do if your clothes caught on fire. It consists of three simple steps stop drop roll when there is a fire in your life a problem that you have been unable to stop the spread of do not try to fight it on your own don't run for the roofs don't try to fill a bucket or pry the extinguisher off the wall stop stop all movement stop all your attempts to fix it or make it better stop and then drop drop your defenses Drop your excuses, drop all plans, drop the need to know anything, drop the need to do anything, stop and drop to your knees. On your knees, in prayer, is the position you must assume if you want the fire marshal to put the fire out. God is the fire marshal, and when you roll the situation over into God's hands, you can rest assured that help is on the way. There are some fires in your life that you simply cannot put out. These are the stop, drop, and roll over to God problems. These problems are like fires that will spread unless you do something quick. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Leonard Blair will encourage you to stop, drop, and roll your problems over to God. In faith, and with faith, you will not get burned. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing some time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. How are you this day? Very well, thank you. First, let's start off by talking a bit about the fact that the Aid in Dying Bill apparently has been defeated And according to Chris Healy of the Connecticut Catholic Conference, he says, All glory goes to God. People of faith came together and their voices were heard. And we are most grateful to legislators who realized we must show more compassion and support for those who are in distress and isolation rather than lead people away from hope and love. So this bill has been defeated. Your thoughts?
1: Well, I uh, I don't mean to uh, cast uh, water on the uh, fire here, but defeated I think is perhaps too strong a word. This year it will not make its way to the full body of the of the uh, legislature, hmm. so it was uh, defeated in committee. But as someone has told me, I believe this is the ninth year in a row when it has come forward, and I can assure you that it will come forward yet again next year, and so. It has been thwarted, it, maybe that's the better word, thwarted for, for now, but we absolutely have to keep up our vigilance because I am confident that uh, it, well, confident, I, I'm sorry to say that that it, it, it probably will resurface again. This whole thing about a culture of death, you know, is, uh, is, is with us. It's very deeply rooted today, and uh, we're going to just have to be very vigilant and proactive. But I do thank all of those. You know, I made that Recording uh, for uh, WJMJ asking people to add their voices in opposition. And I, right. I understand that in our parishes and such, uh, people d- were contacted and they did speak up. And that's the only way that something like this can be thwarted is by people speaking up. It's never been imp- more important for practicing, believing faithful Catholics uh, to respectfully but uh, insistently raise their voices about a lot of these issues.
0: Today is the World Day of Prayer for Vocations, and today the Church focuses its attention on vocations. Question for you. How does a vocation to the priesthood germinate in today's day and age?
1: Well, I'm going to repeat something I know I've said before. I I don't pray so much for vocations as ordinations and religious professions. And what I mean by that is that, you know, God does call, but we are free human beings. And I think of all the, for example, of course, our main focus with the Archdiocese is the priesthood. <clears throat> I'm confident that there are young people who, are, who pre, uh, young men who are getting a, a vocation, a call. But it's, it's stifled by, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's sometimes stifled by families that discourage any such notion about priesthood. It's discouraged by the culture in which we live. So I pray for ordinations, and I'm not saying that praying for vocations is wrong, but you see my point about how the voice of God, the voice of God is calling everybody to their Christian baptismal vocation too, and yet how many people fall away, how many people are seduced by the society and the culture in which we live to uh, not heed the the call of God. So not to be too uh, dour about it, but uh, yes, I'm during vocations week or time of prayer for vocations, all the more we need to look at this globally and not just say, oh, well, God's going to do the calling and we don't have to do anything else. Uh, we have to do everything we can to support the call, to nurture it, to encourage it, uh, to speak positively about it so that that we actually get uh, young men ordained to the priesthood.
0: From what you just said, it leads me to believe that you feel that it is harder for a young man to heed the call for vocation today than it was, for instance, when you and I were called many, many years ago.
1: Oh, absolutely, that's the case. Just as it is uh, much harder for people to heed the call to marriage and family life today than it was when you and I were young. Not to mention, you think of, you know, Blessed Father McGivney back in the late uh, 19th century, it's much harder to, for people to live the call to vocation and being a parent. And I'll tell you the truth, it's getting harder for people to live their vocation to be a man or a woman uh, mm-hmm. created that way than it, than it used to be. So I don't mean to be a doomsdayer here, but life for a believer, life for somebody who believes uh, what has been revealed, what faith and reason have commended to us uh, since the beginning and what the church teaches is a very challenging thing today.
0: On another issue, Friday of this week, Archbishop, we celebrate Arbor Day. When Jay Sterling Morton founded Arbor Day back in 1872, his idea was simple, set aside a special day for tree planting, and although Arbor Day has been celebrated for almost 150 years, its relevance today is as strong as it was when the day was first celebrated. Arbor Day is to help remind us of the beauty of nature as well as our responsibility to care for it. Now as Catholics, we're supposed to do our share in caring for the environment. A day like today should be a reminder of our responsibility
1: to care for God's creation. Any thoughts that you have on Arbor Day, Archbishop? Well, yes, I, I think you know all the modern uh, popes, and now Pope Francis with renewed insistence, is talking about the responsibility we have to be good stewards of God's creation. Because just like everything that's entrusted to us in the world, it doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God and we are the stewards. So, while it's true that uh, in creation, uh, God entrusts to human beings, how should we say, uh, uh, command over, over the created order, uh, that doesn't mean that it can be exercised sinfully or just with exploitation or destructively. If you're talking about uh, trees, well obviously that, that's been shown how important they are to our, our, the system of, of life and for our own uh, even our own oxygen you know for the air that mm-hmm. we breathe I think you know a lot of times this is just a personal reflection but it's not, not about church teaching as such although it's related but you know here in Hartford uh, some of the old neighborhoods well not just in Hartford but everywhere you see these beautiful old growth trees yeah I think yeah. of the uh, sycamore tree the London uh, plane tree or these mighty oaks uh, you know and all those kind of things and I look at the way we landscape today. Very often, the trees that are planted are meant for immediate, rapid growth, but they, they're they not all that beautiful and they don't last all that long. And it makes me appreciate that I'm enjoying the sight of a beautiful thing that was planted maybe 100 years ago by people who never lived to see it, you know, grow that way. And I think we ought to be more attentive to, to the future. I, I just think that sometimes we're very short sighted. We want immediate, results, you know, even if it it means settling for second or third best. And I mean, that's just a personal thought, but I I would hope that we would leave for future generations these beautiful things that other people left for us.
0: I think that all makes sense. Plant a tree today, plant a tree on this Friday for Arbor Day for future generations to enjoy.
1: You know, even here at the Pastoral Center, the, uh, you know, the seminary grounds, St. Thomas Seminary, uh, we have a big property and uh, our trees uh, that are here are old but they're all uh in danger because they're 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 dying they're deteriorating and i want to be sure that we plant we're talking about that now to plant new trees here that again i won't live to see grow to a great height but but for the future
0: take care of the future is the name of the game i guess that's a good thought with which to celebrate arbor day and saturday begins a brand new month it's the month of may which includes national celebrations such as Military Appreciation Month, National Stroke Awareness Month, National Mental Health Awareness Month, and most importantly, the Liturgical Years Month of Mary. The Christian custom of dedicating the month of May to the Blessed Virgin arose at the end of the 13th century. Do you have any suggestions as how our listeners can celebrate and honor Mary during the month of May?
1: Yes, their own personal devotional life, to say the rosary, mm. uh, to to offer the prayers that are... Uh, you know, from the tradition in honor of the Blessed Virgin. Yes, that's something that we should all do, particularly the rosary. If, if you're not a regular prayer of the rosary, maybe during May you could make a promise or a, an intention to, to say the rosary every day and offer it uh, every day for some a different intention, not just for ourselves, but for the world, uh, you know, for peace, uh, for people who are suffering, uh, for the faith, um, and, and ask Our Lady to intercede for us.
0: And for greater unity among all people of the world, regardless of skin color. Let's make that.: and greater point.
1: unity in the, in the Catholic Church.:
0: ah. Well, Archbishop, let's take a look at our gospel reading on this fourth Sunday of Easter, the 25th of April. Today's reading is from the Gospel of John, and uh, after this dramatic presentation, we'll ask you for
2: your thoughts.: I am the Good Shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will heed my voice. So there shall be one flock, one shepherd, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This charge I have received from my father. Archbishop, what are your thoughts as we hear this
0: gospel account?
1: Well, I think it is the God's wisdom that uh, a revelation that is made and is meant to be handed down until the end of time in all cultures, in all places in the world, uh, that Jesus uh, uses uh, imagery that people can uh, always understand uh, widely in different places and while it's true that we no longer for the most part uh, are an agricultural society or you know a society that uh, has a lot of uh, herding of sheep nevertheless the image still resonates with us you know we understand uh, even at a distance what this is about these things from agriculture and from raising of animals helps us understand uh, God's relationship to us and Christ's care for us. So we know, of course, it's been said many times that sheep are pretty dumb. You know, they're, they're easily led. They, they without the, the shepherd uh, to care for them, uh, things would go very badly. Yeah. Uh, so that is its own lesson too, uh, that, uh, you know, sheep need uh, a shepherd. They need a lot of care. Uh, and uh, Jesus is the one who provides that for his human sheep. And, you know, I think that uh, there's a certain element of humility here, too. You know, we don't today like to be led by anyone, even though people are suckered into being led by all kinds of outrageous things.
0: This is true. But
1: we we like to think that we are our own man or woman, you know, that nobody's going to tell us what to do. Uh, But it's not that way when it comes to God. It is precisely by emptying ourselves and allowing ourselves to be led by God that we find our true glory and our, our, our true freedom and uh, all the potentialities of our life. This is a two-edged sword to talk about being a sheep, uh, you know. On the one hand, um, it, it reveals how helpless we really are without Christ. On the other hand, it, it also says that we have to be willing to be led, but we're not being led by anything or anyone other than God himself. And therefore, it is, leads to our true happiness and fulfillment.
0: You mentioned that the imagery of the good shepherd and the sheep is not something that we readily know about because very few of us are sheep herders today. We don't live in an agrarian society as the people who first heard this particular gospel account. And you also mentioned the fact that we don't want to be led. We we believe in, in our own ability to lead ourselves and and are reluctant to follow or be led by anything today. I would think it would be hard for us then to replace the imagery of the Good Shepherd with something that is more contemporary to our population today, for that reason. Well,
1: yes, but certainly we are not free to do that. And, you know, what what comes first, the, 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 the revelation of scripture and then culture, or does culture shape the revelation? You know, we have to be very careful of that, that, you know, at least uh, Western uh, culture, uh, Christian culture, has been shaped by the gospel. And now, of course, there's a great uh, indifference and even rebellion against this Christian uh, formation. And uh, people are, are looking to create something apart from it. But it would never enter my head that we should replace the, the, the imagery of the scripture with something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is formational for us. Uh, and. I think we make a grave error if we think we can replace uh, the, the, the images of Revelation with something of our own devising. We can use examples and things that obviously illustrate it, but the fundamentals are there.
0: Well, on this Sunday, when we read the gospel of Jesus referring to himself as the Good Shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, we celebrate World Day of Prayer for Vocations, like we mentioned previously. We need committed priests who are going to selflessly serve the people of God, such as the Good Shepherd would. He would know his sheep, protect his sheep, lead his sheep. And you're going to tell me that, yes, we have to pray for vocations, and I'm going to tell you that praying is not enough. What else must we do?
1: Well, I think the the key, uh, well, key, the the thing that that is extremely important for any vocation, whether it's marriage or priesthood or religious life, is good family life, a strong uh, Catholic, uh, Christian, spiritual family life. And uh, that is the cradle of of all of these things. So it ultimately comes down to that vocation as much as anything, the sacrament of marriage and, and family.
0: The good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep leads a life beyond the call of duty. I would suggest to you that today most people live lives by doing their duty and nothing more. Their standard of conduct comes from without, that which custom and society requires of them. But the good shepherd is the one whose standard of behavior comes from within, leading a life beyond the call of duty. Could this be why our self-fixated society is finding it hard to produce vocations today?
1: Well, I wouldn't be quite so harsh. I think there are a lot of people who really who are kind of have a secular view of things, humanistic thing, a view of things, who are very self-giving and dedicated, you know. Uh, a lot of the people who have been on the front lines uh, fighting COVID, and, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of very religious people uh, people who have done this, but I think there are also a lot of very altruistic, uh, dedicated people who maybe don't have this religious inspiration who've, who, who've done it as well. So I think the need, you know, especially these, we're told that young people, you know, at a particular point in life really need to be challenged to learn, in the words of Pope Saint John Paul, to learn how to make a gift of self. Yes, selfishness and a kind of um, the self-centeredness That's always existed among people in our sinful condition, and it exists today. There are a lot of uh, good people who want to do the right thing, but I think they're blinded to the ultimate call of God by uh, a society today that is so secularized that it thinks that uh, unaided that mankind can somehow create itself anew and and find a a solution to all its problems without reference to uh, a transcendent uh, reality of God. And that, that that's a dead end because, of course, it also leads to moral chaos because, again, I'm quoting Pope Benedict as, you know, when the freedom to be creative becomes the freedom to create yourself, then God is lost sight of and the human person too. So you can be altruistic and you can be w- wanting to give of yourself for the good of others, but it has to be within the parameters of the truths about the world and about ourselves that only God can can supply.
0: We'll uh, take a look at some of the questions that have been submitted by our listeners. But first, a question that I have. Catholics in the Diocese of Allentown, Pennsylvania, are observing a jubilee year that started on Divine Mercy Sunday and will end on the Solemnity of Christ the King next year in 2022. Bishop Alfred Schlercht has declared that the year of the real presence, in order to draw attention to the bread and the wine becoming the body and blood of Jesus during each Mass— He's doing it because a Pew Research study reveals that just 31 percent of those who call themselves Catholics believe that the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus are really present at the consecration and in the Holy Eucharist. Does it concern you that only 31 percent of Catholics believe in the real presence?
1: Well, I think first a couple things. It's a very good question. Uh, I do think that we have to be a, a little bit careful about these alarming statistics about faith in the real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. Because if you're talking about all Catholics, including the huge numbers that never go to Mass anymore, well then I can understand that uh, why they might say this. If you're talking about just those who faithfully are go- practicing their faith, then that would be a much worse kind of uh, of statistic. If I thought that only 31% of the people sitting in front of me at Mass believe it, then that's even worse. But in either case, it is very important for us to do all that we can to emphasize uh, uh, and reaffirm and educate, catechize people about the the gift of the Holy Eucharist, uh, which is truly the Body and Blood of Christ. And uh, I I praise the the bishop in Allentown for doing this. But I can tell you that the whole bishops conference in the United States is poised to do something similar for our country. Uh, indeed, I'm on the uh, the one of the advisory committees about how this can take place. And I think we actually have a Zoom meeting coming up uh, this week or next week uh, with bishops from across the country that that i will be joined with to to talk about this the plan is for a eucharistic kind of pr- a program uh, over a couple of years culminating in in a great national event uh, celebrating the real presence of christ in the eucharist bishop schlert has uh, kind of jumped the gun and i don't that's no criticism i mean it's good that he's not wasting any time but we all have to be concerned about this and and we are
0: archbishop looking at some of the questions that have been submitted rose from wolcott says After Mass on Easter Sunday, my church provided individual bottles of holy water for anyone who wanted to take one. Since the pandemic started, there hasn't been holy water available upon entering and leaving the church, so I am glad to have it. What is the proper usage of holy water?
1: Well, holy water is used, remember, the powerful um, symbolism of water in baptism, that it is through water and the Holy Spirit that we're reborn and find salvation in Christ. So, Holy water is also used in the sense that it is the bearer of a blessing, that it has been consecrated to God, and so it can be used also in devotional life, and we make the sign of, cross, of the cross with it to remind us of our baptism. Uh, we can also use it to apply to in the church to, when, when the priest blesses uh, objects for, for use, often they're sprinkled with holy water as well. But but in private use, I think it, it, it can be used to, to make the sign of the cross and to remind us especially of our baptism.
0: Larry from New Britain asks, I know that God does not tempt us, but is it right to say that God tests our faith? What is the difference between being tested and being tempted?
1: Well, that's an interesting question, Larry. Um, I suppose... The two are really uh, uh, similar. Uh, I'm not sure there is a great difference. So, for example, let's say the cross in your life is one. You have a particular cross. Um, Maybe, let's say it's the cross of of illness. Well, that constitutes a temptation not to have trust in God or or to to even, in a serious case, to reject God and the providence of God, saying how can uh, an all-good, God allow this to happen. But that also uh, constitutes a test. You know, at the conclusion of the fa- of the Our Father, we say, uh, lead us not into temptation. Uh, and as uh, sometimes that's translated, uh, put us not to the test. So the two are very much related. And we understand that uh, God does not tempt us in the sense that he deliberately tries to, to lead us into evil. It means that we pray to God for deliverance when we are being tested, when we are being tempted. Steve
0: from Waterbury says, when praying the rosary, what is the purpose of saying ten Hail Marys and only one Our Father?
1: Well, the origin of the rosary, uh, at least one of them, I, I know that I'm no expert on the exact history of it, but it, it has been said that the rosary is meant was meant to be kind of a way of um, a popular way of uh, Praying in the, after the fashion of the hundred and fifty psalms, and so before we had, um, uh, if you have fifty uh, Hail Marys in in a rosary, with the the joyful, sorrowful, and glorious mystery. Now since then, Pope Saint John Paul has added the mysteries of light. But that though that was like a, a, a you know, back in the days when people couldn't weren't even all that literate, uh, that it was a way of of praying. Uh, to, to recall uh, the the, uh, the breviary, the Psalter, that was said uh, uh, monastically, so uh, that's one of the explanations of how the rosary has decades of of ten Hail Marys uh, times five for each for each uh, rosary.
0: Heather from Manchester says, "My grandmother has always told me that we should do the sign of the cross when we pass a church in the car." to show respect or to acknowledge God is there. When I did this in a car with a Catholic friend, she questioned whether this is something Catholics are expected to do, as she had never heard of it before. Should Catholics be making the sign of the cross as a sign of respect while passing churches?
1: Well, my understanding is that this was a devout practice of Catholics, and like so many devout practices of Catholics these days, it's fallen by the wayside. It's an old custom. I don't even remember in my youth, which is going back a a ways, I don't necessarily remember this uh, happening at all. Uh, and I probably comes from a time when people are now driving in cars instead of walking. I do think that it was an old custom for men, for example, walking by a church to doff their hat mm-hmm. when they walk by a church. That was a symbol of respect. So is it a requirement? Is it? I mean, it's a, it's a, a praiseworthy custom to do, to acknowledge when you see a church that within is the a real presence of Christ in the Holy Eucharist. But I would say it's a custom that pretty much has fallen by the wayside. Um, And, of course, men don't even wear hats hardly anymore. So we wouldn't, uh, you know, but in the old days when when men did in in the winter, that was a, a sign of respect.
0: George from Oxford wonders, Chinese scientists recently revealed that they've been experimenting with injecting human stem cells into monkey embryos in an attempt to grow human organs for sale to people who need transplants. This seems like cutting-edge experimentation with some serious ethical questions, doesn't it?
1: Well, yes, George, it does. And, you know, the church is not opposed to science. Contrary to what people uh, today try to charge, you know, God has given us a brain The Church has always championed faith and reason, and we have a God-given brain uh, to to use for the good. But when you come to experimentation uh, regarding human beings and human life, then you get into a very complex area that that calls for tremendous caution. And uh, with regard to this particular issue, I'm sure that Catholic bioethical facilities, think tanks, uh, theological institutes, have tried to to apply to these things the norms of respect for human life and where there is a line that should not be crossed with regard to the human person. And uh, actually what you've cited here, I think is not even the most extreme case by any means of some of the things that people are talking about. Some of them are too indelicate to even talk about on the radio, but uh, I mean, as far as uh, human sexuality and about all kinds of um, interventions that I think raise very serious questions about uh, creating even uh, forms of human life that are not completely human. or It really raises very, very serious ethical questions.
0: Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close the program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
1: Lord God, in the joy of this Easter season, we praise and thank you for the gift of life and for the gift of redemption that is ours in union with Christ risen from the dead And we pray that by using the gifts of faith and reason that you have given to us, we may do all for your glory, the good of the church, and the good of souls. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. We look forward to joining you again next week. And thank you for all your answers that cause us to rethink some of the things that exist within our own faith journey. Have a nice week. You too, thank you.